Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mob Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Edgar Victoria. He's the chef owner founder of Alibreja in Nashville, Tennessee. I first learned about Edgar and Alibreja when they were popping up at Bastion. Uh, we've had Josh Habiger on the podcast previously, so if you haven't listened to that episode, check it out. We kind of touched on the pop-up that they had going on on Sundays with Alibreja. Edgar's somebody I've been following ever since then, since I first kind of saw it through the Bastion pop-up feed that they were doing. And it looks like amazing tacos. They look super delicious. It's super unique, original. There's nothing quite like it in Nashville with the stuff that he's doing. And everyone is pretty much taking notice. It's a really big deal in Nashville. He's got a couple different locations. So one of their locations is the food trailer over at Honey Tree Meadery. He's got another location inside Bar Sovereign. And then he's also got a stand inside the Nashville FC soccer stadium. It's Geodis Park, I believe is the name of it. But he's in there. So on game days, you can go and get tacos while watching the soccer game. So it's a pretty cool situation. Uh, he partnered with Strategic Hospitality, who, you know, they're a big restaurant group in Nashville, the Capward Seat, Bastion, Henrietta Red, Patterson House, Forthcoming, Kisser BBQ. Uh, they're involved in a bunch of different restaurants, a bunch of different great restaurants uh, in the city. They're kind of like the premier restaurant group there for uh, cool concepts. Pinewood Social is another thing that they have too as well. The food is just looks delicious. I can't wait to have it. We have a upcoming trip to Nashville, so definitely going to be on the short list of places to stop and, and try firsthand. But Edgar has a really interesting story where he winds up kind of in Nashville randomly in a way and then doesn't have any experience and winds up getting into restaurants and working his way up through the kitchen and winds up kind of opening his own concept, comes up with the idea. It's kind of born out of COVID, but not really. The idea was before, but then COVID kind of allowed him to execute kind of what he was envisioning to as well. So it's a fascinating story and I wanted to have him on and I was super happy that we were able to kind of schedule it after going back and forth for a little bit. You can follow him on Instagram. The accounts are at edgarvictoria.rexo. So it's edgarvictoria.rexo. That's his personal account. And also follow Alibreja. It's at A-L-E-B-R-I-J-E-N-A-S-H. So Alibreja Nash. And then also at CDMX Tacos is the other account, which is kind of the taco shop that they have uh, at one of the locations there too as well. So, and you can follow Honey Tree Meadery, Bar Sovereign. You can also follow, you know, Nashville SC or Geodis Park accounts are on Instagram too as well. You can follow us too as well at Spoon Mob. We're on all the other social media, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, all that stuff. It's either at Spoon Mob or Spoon Mob One, but mainly we focus on the Instagram just because we like photos and photography. And you can check out the website, SpoonMob.com. We have different profiles that we keep up to date for all of our guests. Even after they come on, we keep them updated. So if they have a new concept opening or, you know, they move to a different restaurant or whatever, we put bylines in there um, right below the podcast episode. So if you click on their page, it's always up to date keep that up to date pretty frequently, um, at least weekly, go through it, make any changes uh, with new news that kind of comes out. All the links to everyone's episodes are in their individual pages. There's also a master page for the podcast. So all 103, 104 episodes you can find there. You can also follow the podcast, whatever podcast app that you use. 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google, those are kind of the big four. And then there's a whole bunch of smaller ones like Pocket Cast and Podcast Republic and all these other little apps, mostly for Android users. You can download them on an Apple phone if you have a preferred player. Some people have a preferred format because a lot of people don't like the way Spotify kind of operates and completely understandable. I think Apple, if you have an Apple phone, it's super easy to use, but some people have a Samsung phone and it's kind of like, what app do you use and stuff like that? So you can find us on any of that stuff. Just search Spoon Mob, hit the follow subscribe button. All the new episodes will download straight in your feed. New episodes come out Thursdays, 1 a.m. is usually when they release. Sometimes wind up uh, a little bit later. Maybe it's you know 8 a.m. or something like that on Thursday if we run into some delays with editing. But those are few and far between. And then they hit YouTube, our YouTube channel, a week later. And we throw them up there. So if YouTube is your preferred player, then you're just running a week behind. But everything makes it up there. You can write in questions, comments, feedback either through the contact page on the website or directly to us, boonmob at yahoo.com. Please rate, review uh, the podcast too on whatever player that you're using. It's always great to see any positive reviews that we get since most anything that ever gets left these days is in the vein of Yelp. Help us out there if you can, if you get some time. But without any further delays, here is my conversation with Chef Edgar Victoria, the owner, founder of Alabreja in Nashville, Tennessee. Cool. Well, thanks again for agreeing to come on the podcast and take some time out of your evening. Happy we're finally able to get on the same schedule. I've been following you on Instagram for a long time, probably a couple years ago when you first started is kind of when I first discovered it. And it's highly rated tacos and everything that you're doing in the Nashville area. And they look phenomenal. You've been bouncing around. I mean, you did a a residency at Bastion, um, which we had Josh Habiger on uh, a while back. And now you're kind of got some permanent spaces and, and doing some other stuff too as well. You're in the soccer stadium and everything. So I want to get to kind of how all that materialized. But I always like to start at the beginning with everybody. How did you kind of first get involved with cooking? Because, you know, originally you're from Mexico City, right? So you kind of grew up there and then wound up in the U.S. So how did all that lead to kind of you cooking and getting involved with food and hospitality? It's really hard to put that, that whole story and you know into words in a couple minutes but i will do my best i grew up in mexico city and the food in mexico city is just phenomenal when i was a kid my mom used to take me to her doctor appointments and and whatnot just seeing all the street vendors selling whatever we have a dish on the menu that doesn't sell as much as i wish it could it's called a huarache which is the novel shape uh, masa uh, almost think about it like an open face gordita from Taco Bell, but it's it's oval and way better. And that dish doesn't go anywhere because it reminds me of my mom. And it reminds me of all these trips on the subway and the bus station. And, you know, that's just one good example of the food in Mexico City is just, it's just amazing. You know, there's street vendors anywhere you go, outside the subway, on every single corner. There's just food all over the place. Uh, we had a bakery right on the street from our house. I don't know, I would say 40 steps, we had a bakery. Five-minute walk, we had a tortilleria, which is a place that sells masa, sells tortillas, all that. Taco vendors, taco courts, all over the place. Uh, street vendors with just a tent and a table. They'll be making quesadillas, huaraches, whatnot. Uh, so I was very lucky to grow up in a city that has so much to offer when it comes to food. And then on summer, my mom would take me to visit my cousins, my my older side of the family. 
and they lived out in the country. It's a place called Llano Largo. It's about two hours away from Mexico City, close to Puebla, I believe. And the life out there was just so different. It was a lot of hunting, fishing, being on the field, uh, a lot of hard work too. <laughs> so I was not used to uh, all the things because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from the city. So I'm like, my cousins, like the life was just, I would say, just so pure and different, you know, that they were not surrounded by technology. It, I mean, all they did was get up, enjoy life. Maybe that's a good way to say it. From my perspective back then, it was like, all you do is work. But no, I mean, they, they get up, they go to school. Uh, after they're done with school and they come back home, they, they do little things like, I mean, I, I don't it, there's so much, I don't even know how to phrase it. They do a lot of things to help around the house, you know, whether it's like, Cutting wood to start the fire, grinding corn, nixamalizing corn. That's where I guess that would be my first memory. And that's why that part of my life is so important. Because I grew up around a lot of food in Mexico City. But to see nature and to see water and see my cousins drinking water out of the river, that it's cleaner than any filtered water in the city. It's just it's just amazing to be surrounded by animals, to see my uncle butchering pigs. My grandma used to have a whole cornfield and we used to harvest that corn as kids. I just didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, cool, I just got to pick this up and put it in a basket. Cool, I'll do it. I have just memories for days, but that's, you know, I would say two of my biggest memories would be holding my mom's hand, walking around the subway in Mexico City, trying my first huarache. And then, you know, my dad used to be a mechanic in Mexico City and then just go to the mechanic shop with my dad and try street tacos on the weekends. And, and it just blew my mind how like little things such as like good meat and a lot of fat, but a traditional uh, Mexico City taquero, you know, he relies on fat a lot. And then just, just a very spicy salsa and a lot of acid onto the food. And then my grandma, whenever we used to go out to the country, my grandma would be he had a corn grinder, her making tortillas from scratch. This about five years ago. It didn't hit me until later in life, right? So that that happened. The best memories when it comes to food. I, I never cooked a single thing. I didn't know how to cook a single thing. Then half of my family had been living in the States for the longest time. And, you know, to keep it super honest, I was doing so bad uh, when I was down there in Mexico, that is. Um, I was hanging out with the wrong people. I got into graffiti when I was that age. I loved it. I loved every single bit of it. So then my dad was like, no, you're going to go over to the States, you know, and you're going to learn your lesson. You become a good kid. Uh, and then you can come back. You know, I'm, I'm still here. I would say, again, half of my family had been living in the States for the longest time, uh, for decades. I kind of knew where I needed to go, if that makes sense. I would say like a third of my family had been living in Atlanta and then another portion of my family lived in LA and somewhere else, can't uh, really remember. Went straight to Atlanta, I didn't like it. And then a, a week later, moved to Nashville and I've been here since then. Went to school here uh, and then I would say I forgot how old I was. You know, I landed jobs here and there. I, I liked uh, some of them, and then some some of them I, I did not like. But I would say around 2008, I believe, that's when the economy went to shit. 
I could not find a job. I, I was working at this one place. I was making a, a lot of money uh, for my age. I had just left uh, high school, well, graduated from high school. I was making so much money that I was like, I don't think I need to go to college. You know, like, <laughs> don't really think I need to go to college. In my small mind, I was thinking, I never thought about getting laid off or getting fired. I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm just thinking about the moment. 18 years old, and I'm making $44 an hour, and I'm working three days a week. Like, this is the life. And eventually, we got laid off. <laughs> and uh, I could not find a, a job. And then a friend of mine called me, and he's like, well, we need people in the kitchen. So, you know, this is after uh, Mexico City. I'm visiting my cousins and all that. Fast forward 15 years later, and this is when I when this is the day I land my first kitchen job. And, and I was like, yeah, I do need a job. And I was like, what do you guys need? They're like, we need to cook. Like, I don't really know how to cook. I was desperate for a job. You know, in my head, I was like, well, it should be kind of easy. And he gave me the answers to the test. I was like, so cool. He set me up for an interview with the GM. And he's like, what's the interview going to be like? And he's like, anything they ask you, he's going to say yes. I was like, really? Just like that? He's like, yeah, she's just going to agree with everything they ask. Okay, cool. So <laughs> I went to the interview and they're asking me all these things that like, I don't, I got no clue. Now it seems like so the terminology in the kitchen, it's everyone is so used to it. With many cooking shows on TV, like they, they know what that terminology is or what things mean. I don't know if I was like super ignorant back then, but I was not familiar with the terminology at all. This might sound like a little too much, but I didn't even know how to use the microwave. I would not step into the kitchen. And this is, I'm talking about my home kitchen because I didn't know how to do anything. I, I just didn't want to mess with things with fire. Yeah, I mean, to keep it simple, I would not really step into the kitchen. I mean, I felt super accomplished the day I learned how to heat up a hot pocket. I would eat that and Twinkies every single day. <laughs> Went to the interview. The person is asking me if I knew how to expo. You know, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know what that is. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. It's like, what about prep? You know, again, in my mind, I'm thinking prep, what? Like, what am I prepping? Like, I don't know what they're asking me. And I was like, yeah, I, I can prep. And then they say, what about saute? Like, what will you rate yourself on saute? And, and I remember thinking about it. You know, I was like, I got to make them believe the words out of my mouth. And I would think about it. And I was like, uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I'll say eight. Eight out of ten, I passed with flying colors. But the next day, you know, the next day was very rough. I walked into that kitchen. I thought that, you know, we always like applying that thing in a very sarcastic way of like fake it till you, till you make it. And that was just not going to cut it. You know, there was no fake it till you make it. I mean, I did. That's what I ended up doing. But it was rough. It was really hard. Uh, so I walked into the kitchen. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I'm standing in the middle of the kitchen for a hot minute, just, just like trying to think work to take a step to like what what am i doing in this place what did i get myself into you know no one is asking me if i need anything if i need any help if i could use some guidance like everyone all i hear is cutting boards and knives cutting against those cutting boards and it's just like bah, 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 bah. 
like five of those. Uh, there was five prep cooks in the morning. No one is really taking their time to see if you need any assistance. So everyone is minding their own business. They're on a mission. I mean, now I get it. Uh, so that happened. And uh, I stood there for a couple minutes just thinking. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this sucks. Like, what am I doing here? So I stepped out of the kitchen. I called my friend. My friend was the kitchen manager. He was not there that day. I called him and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I think I'm about to leave. And then over the phone, he's like, why? What's happening? I'm like, I don't know. No one's looking at me. No one's talking to me. They're like, oh, it, it's super easy, man. You just got to make yourself look busy. It's very, very simple. What am I going to do till you get here? He's like, you'll grab a broom and sweep the floor. And I was like, that's it? He's like, yeah, that's it. Just just make sure you sweep the floor all the time. <laughs> I was just <laughs> sweeping the floor every five minutes. And then, you know, obviously, you just start getting looks, you know? And then I stepped out again, and I was like, hey, man, like, I'm getting all these weird looks. Isn't there anything else to do? He's like, yeah, yeah, wash a couple of dishes. So to keep it short, I swept the floor, I washed the dishes, I cleaned every single prep table in there. And then as the days went by, the next day he came back. So it was a little easier than day one. Um, I think if I made it through a day one, then everything else is just like a little easier because he was there to assist and help the day after. Fell in love with cooking, even if I didn't know what I was doing. It's hard to describe. I think there are some people that just have that, that talent and it's very natural. I didn't. I was lucky that I grew up around food like I did. I didn't have the talent. I had to practice every single day. I had to chop things with my hand every single day. I had to fuck up thousands of times before I could get like a single thing right. So it took a lot of practice. But when I graduated from high school, and I don't know if it happens to a lot of people, kind of didn't know what to do with my life. You know, I was like, do, do I go to college? I had this one job and I was like, uh, they just call us lighting technicians. You know, that's just a fancy name. And I thought about becoming an electrician and maybe go to school for that. And there was just so many, but like, I didn't want to do that. You know, I fear, figure I would be making good money by doing that. I think to keep it very simple and, and short and sweet, I kind of didn't know what to do with my life. I worked at several places. I worked at a candy factory as well. I worked at a place driving the Ford Lyft. Uh, so that was fun because I like driving things. I like things with wheels. As much as my day one sucked in the kitchen, there was a spark. And I didn't know what it was. It, it was excitement. And it was fun. There's something with inside me was like, yeah, I found it. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I don't know what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for the kitchen. You know, I never cooked anything in my, in my life. But I was so lost in, in life, if you could say that when I found it, I was like, this is it. It's like love at first sight. I knew right away, this is what I wanted to do for a long time. I wasn't thinking of anything big. I mean, I didn't even know what Saute Cook, Broiler Cook, Expo, KM, Sous Chef. I, I didn't know any of this terminology. I just knew that I wanted to cook every single day. And that's what I did, man. I, I did that for a couple of years. I did survive that kitchen. I did better. I think the fact that you haven't done it as long as some of these people have, that maybe you don't have that talent, you walk, you, you came into this world, or maybe the fact that you didn't go to school, like some of people did get a chance to, um, I think taking all those factors into consideration kind of made me push myself a little more. 
than maybe everyone else. It was a good thing. I was never happy. There was no knowledge that was enough that would satisfy me. And that's the beauty behind this career that there are so many cooks that there are so many people doing so much cool stuff that uh, how you can learn everything that's related to cooking in your whole lifetime. Just no way. It's endless. That just kind of gave me a good smile. And I was like, I want to do this. That like, I'm never going to learn enough. That's just great. There's so much to discover in this world. And there's more that comes with it, right? There's stories that come with it. There's uh, cultures and religion and, and so many things. Whenever you try someone else's food and they tell you where it came from and they give you a story behind it, like my grandma used to make it and she's not alive anymore. It's a good way to connect people to. And, and there was so much about it that I found very beautiful and I fell in love with it. And then I, I just decided to do this all the time. You know, I never looked back. I think I, I got burned out once or twice. And I was like, man, I, I don't know if I want to keep cooking. Uh, but then the next day, that feeling was gone. So <laughs> this is very briefly. I think we all been there. And then that's what I did. And uh, I had the mindset of like just giving it 120% every single day. And I did that for years. And, and then I, I set my personal goals of like, I want to be a really good cook. I'm going to, you know, work real for like a year. So that gives me 365 days to become really, really good at that one thing. I think I treated every single position like that. By no means, I'm like an expert on all those positions. But, uh, you know, it was my personal goal. Like, uh, now I want to be a really good saute cook. And I would work at a place that day for one year. And then kind of got like decent at it. And then I landed my first uh, sous chef position and then my first uh, CDC position. And then I worked at a couple of places and whatnot, all in Nashville. I don't think I want to mention any of their names, to be honest with you. I want to keep it all to myself. Uh, no, it's just like uh, some of those places just are not even open anymore. And then some of those places with them, it's, it's very unrelated to what I do nowadays that I just don't see the purpose behind it. It's meaningful. And I would say one of those places that, that really opened my eyes and made me, you know, such a better cook nowadays was Capital Grill at the Hermitage Hotel. I forgot what year was this. I think it could have been 2005 or 07 when I worked. But you wanted to work there, right? No, absolutely. I remember that day. I took a little vacation and went to, I think I went to Panama City. I was thinking to myself, like, where do I want to work now? Like, anywhere I go, it just doesn't seem like it's enough. I'm not saying this on, on a arrogant way. Like, I just, again, like, I don't know what I want to do with my life again. It felt like that again. And then I, I think I saw the ad that they needed books, set up an interview with their CDC back then and the day I got there I felt what I felt in my day one in the kitchen it was the same feeling all over again it was almost like a basement so you walk I don't know what it looks like nowadays but you would go downstairs it had those feelings like like cave vibes almost the lighting was really dark and I, I walked down there completely empty dining room they used to open at five a uh, hostess came up to me and I was like, yeah, I set up an interview with this guy. He's like, cool, I'll be right back. He's in the kitchen. Let me go grab him for you. While she was gone, I was like, what am I doing here? 
and I almost walked out. I think I tried. If I remember correctly, I looked at the menu and then I looked at the space. There was something inside me that I was like, maybe you should leave. And I was like, man, he said, I made up a, a, a small excuse in my head. Man, what's taking him so long? Maybe he's way too busy. I should come back later. And I turned around and I took two steps and then I heard him. He's like, Edgar? I was like, ah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so I sat down, had an interview, got the job. I was there two days later. I love that place. Honestly, I don't know what, what's happened to that place ever since like many, many years ago. I got no track of like who's working there now or what, what the concept is like nowadays, to be honest. Uh, no offense whatsoever. I just don't, don't really know what's happening there anymore. But back then, like we had a farm and the cooks and the chefs, everyone was just so talented. And I think, you know, when, when you surround yourself with a team like that, like you kind of don't really have an option, but I'm just as good, right? And that was a great thing. I was learning every single day. We used to get scheduled to get to go to the farm, you know, harvest whatever was going to be on the menu for the day. For the day, if it was a special, for the week or months, if it was seasonal, freestyle, very, it's just like it's a really good kitchen, you know, where you get to to experience with the, the freshest that you can find. You know, there was a lot of freestyle, but there was also consistency with what was being done every single day. The expectation was always there too. It was just very different. I was coming from like fast-paced, casual restaurants that are just putting out like, that's a good thing to have. In my opinion, you know, to have experience with large volume, it's an amazing thing to have because if you can combine that with something a little higher end, then 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 you can make it work. You know, it, I've seen a lot of cooks that come from from a high end background, but when it's time to change things a little bit and do something a little more casual without a lot of food, without sacrificing the quality, they're having a, a hard time adjusting from that. You know, you, you can't really use tweezers to make nachos. I mean, you can, but it's going to take you like 10 minutes to put meat on those nachos. And then it's going to be cold by the time he makes it to the table, you know? Working in some place that is putting out food that fast, you get time management skills, you get prep skills. You still get them from the other places, but it's just, you're doing everything more. So you just get more repetitions too, at whatever that is. And that carries over into later on in your career for sure. Yeah, that was Capital Grill, man. I would say a lot of things that I that I do nowadays. I mean, obviously, we're making Mexican food, tacos, whatnot. So very unrelated to, to the food that Capital Grill was making back then. But I think, you know, the main knowledge, which is like how to treat food, how to talk to food, you know, even if that doesn't make sense to other people, you, you kind of talk to food in a way. So that's, that's what I took with me, you know, like being able to observe an ingredient and feel it, touch it and smell it and then put that into a plate, you know, I don't know. It's hard to describe that. I think for people that cook, like they would get it, maybe not all of them. That's how I treat food. I took that with me when I left. Uh, so I worked there. And then after I left that place, I went and worked. I think that that place is what got me, re it got me ready for my first chef positions. The amount of creativity you learn in, in such a place like that, 
where you're not taking sauces out of the bag, you're making everything from scratch. And then like you change the menu in spring and then like four weeks later, it's over. So now you have to learn something new or they didn't have that ingredient at the farm. So now we're going to switch it for this other ingredient that's a little more bitter than the past ingredient. So now that doesn't make sense into that dish. So now let's just change the whole dish. It just never ended. And I'm sure there's a lot of places like that nowadays. And it's also really hard. By the time the whole staff learned the menu and they're getting the hang of it and the cook is like, oh yeah, I got my mise en place ready. I think I got it. You know, by the time that happens, the week later is like, oh yeah, we're going to change the menu again. And it's like, oh. <laughs> and it's just like a never ending cycle. Uh, so that happened. And then I ran a few places around Nashville and whatnot. And I think about five years ago, I wanted to do something of my own, but I, it felt to me like I was never ready. I'm sure everyone has that same feeling. I could still use more training. I could still use more experience. I could still go to this place or, or that place and gain that experience that I feel that I'm lacking of. You know, nowadays I realize that you're never going to be ready. It's never going to be ready. And you might as well just, just kind of do it. About six years ago, I wanted to open a food truck. And like, this is based on memory as well. My mom used, and dad were so busy in the mornings because, you know, I think the closest thing to Mexico City would be New York. It's such a like place and city that never stops. The moment you get up, it's just go, 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 go. She didn't have time to make me lunch for school. So she would give me 10 pesos and, and she would send me, you know, five blocks away from the house to the torta guy. I still remember his name, but I can't think of it right now. I would go to his little torta stand every morning and I would get a torta de milanesa with ham and cheese and refried beans, a whole freaking avocado on it, sliced tomatoes, like super classic torta. But it was like so big that I knew that was going to be enough breakfast and lunch. So that, that was my go-to all the time. So about six years ago, I kind of wanted to share that with people. I feel like at this point, I haven't really defined myself. I think I had a cooking style of my own. I think it was lacking of identity. That's the right word. I don't think what I want to have any sort of identity or, or definition. So it was like very vague. So I wanted to make tortas and make like all these house pickles and ferments. And those would be the ingredients that would go in the tortas. Maybe make a couple of house chips and just give them like a soda and then boom, that's it. Call it a day. That was about six years ago. Two years later, I bought just a trailer. It wasn't a food trailer. So I just bought a trailer, parked it in the house, just dreaming that one day I would put it to use. And then 2019, I went outside and I looked at the trailer and I was like, I think it's time to do something with this. And I was helping a friend of mine, Alex, with his restaurant. I was pretty much working for him back then. This is in the beginning of 2020. And I, I like Alex a lot. He's a really good friend of mine. And I, I was trying to find the words to tell him that I was not going to work with him anymore. And every week, I ended up not telling him. You know, every week I was like, you know what? This is not the right week to do it. I'm going to tell him next week. Nothing is, it's been done to the trailer, right? Like it's just an empty box. But in my head, I was thinking that it, it would take some of my time and work to like build it, 
And like, I don't know what I was thinking, man. I can't build things. But in my head, I was thinking I was going to be able to build a full a foot trailer. In my mind, I'm thinking it's going to take me two months to build it and then get on the streets and start selling food. That's what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking about permits either. You know, obviously, I didn't know what I was doing. And then one week, I was like, okay, I'm going to tell him this week. This is the week. I went inside and he's like, man, have you heard about this COVID thing that, that's happening in New York? And I was like, no, I haven't. I don't watch TV at all. So it's hard for me to keep up with normal things, I guess. But, you know, technology, it's such a thing now. Like you, you can find those things on, on your phone and whatnot. But no, I, I wasn't paying attention to what was happening in the world back then. And I was like, no, I don't know what's happening over there. Freaking, it's like 14, 15 hours away. He's like, yeah, I'm just letting you know. And I was like, cool. And like, it felt like blink of a night. Like at five days later, you know, it's in Nashville too. And we're shutting down everything. Yeah, it just happened so quick. You know, the list of my concerns was the trailer or telling Alex that I was going to quit. I remember just sitting down and thinking, well, shit, what's about to happen? The idea and the concept you had for Alibre, that was all built before COVID. That didn't come out of COVID. Like you had all that in your mind. When COVID happened, you were able to build the trailer. No, not really. Because I wanted to make short dance. Like I think what happened before the pandemic was I knew that I wanted to do something of my own. It wasn't identified yet. And I just kind of had a rough idea. I think Alebrija, Alebrija actually happened with the pandemic. In the pandemic pushed me enough to say, you know what, fuck it. What am I going to do? What's there to lose? There's nothing going on. There's no places open. There's no restaurants open. So I might as well just do this. I kind of forgot about the trailer. I forgot about the tortas. And when the pandemic happened and I, didn't, I lost my job, just like just about 100% of people working in the industry in the U.S. But there was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. By then, I think that people change. You know, I wanted to do tortas three, four, five, six years ago. I think with the pandemic, I just wanted to do something different in the city. It wasn't tortas anymore. I feel like tortas, it, it's a very small part that fits into what we do now. So what we do now, it's maybe a little bigger than what I wanted to do back then. Maybe it's not bigger, but maybe there's a little more room to, to wiggle and, and change things. And we don't limit ourselves to just do one thing. You know, if we want to do tortas next week, we can totally do that and get away with it. And that's when... I sat down, I came home and I sat down and I was thinking about what to do. This is about three weeks after the pandemic. Obviously, we don't really know what's happening out there in the world. So I sat down and I had flashback about the things that I was mentioning to you earlier. I had a flashback of, of my days being a five-year-old walking around Mexico City with my mom holding her hand and trying my first huarache. I had flashbacks of, of women sleeping quesadillas on the streets and I had all this it was like a little sport and within seconds I'm just having all these memories and I, I can smell them you know and again I, I think this might be some of those phrases that don't make any sense to people if you're one of those people out there that love what you do when someone says that you can smell a memory I can smell a memory I was having those memories I was able to smell I was able to remember and I knew it like right away I knew it I knew what I wanted to do. I knew exactly what that was. You know, when I was talking about the podcast six years ago, it was just a vague idea. I was not ready. Or I kept telling myself that I wasn't ready. This time around, like, 
sat down, had these flashbacks, and I knew right away what I wanted to share with people. And the, the answer, it felt so magical the way it happened, in my opinion. Because once again, like I, I felt like I was in the kitchen for the first time ever. Once you put in so much of your time into, into your career, you know, like I've been cooking for the longest time. And like, I was like, what's next? You know, what, where am I going to go next? And the answer had been in front of me for the longest time. Like I've been cooking all these other different types of cuisine and I've been learning and I've been tasting and I've been imitating what someone else has taught me to do. And I've been trying to make those dishes to the standard that they want. And Mexican food is the one of those things that I never touched in my cooking career because I really enjoy eating it on my days off. Just never crossed my mind to do that. So yeah, that the answer had been in front of me the whole time and I just didn't know it. And the moment I, I sat down during the pandemic and I had these flashbacks, started thinking about like all these memories and how beautiful those memories were and how meaningful they are to me. I was like, it sucks that I can't share this with people. It sucks that people don't, don't have access to this. I was giving myself the answer. You know, I was like, oh, wait, I can do that for them. That's the answer. And I was like, cool. Let's, I didn't know I was going to call it Telegraphy. Well, I just decided to go for it. So I was like, let's make, there's a lot of people in Nashville that I love. I love their tacos. And I love what they do. And I really respect them. I just wanted to do something that's, that's a little more personal. I want to be able to feed people the way I see food, the way I see things, the way I see ingredients. And and it, it might be a little hard in the beginning, but that was the goal since day one. And it hasn't changed. Did start bringing corn from Mexico. Then we did the first pop-up, Alex's place that used to be called Dallas and Jane. It's way out. It's far away from Nashville. I would say it's about 40 miles away from Nashville. And people drove all the way there to try our food. You know, that was a sign that I was like, oh, yeah, let's do this. This is what I want to do. And then the second pop-up, we decided to do that in Nashville. You know, I was like, if, if we got this enough 40 miles away from Nashville, let's just bring the concept to Nashville and, and see what we can do here. I think the main reason was like, we didn't do the first pop-up too far away from Nashville because we wanted to do so. More like every single place is, is shut down. Like, who's going to let you do that in the restaurant? And Alex was a really good friend of mine. He's like, man, you can use the space here. Cool. So we used the space. Everything was to go. Everything was takeout. And like, we did well. So then the next thing was like, do we keep doing it out of this kitchen? Do we go to Nashville? You know, in my mind, I was like, I think we need to go to Nashville. I think that's a move. So we went to Nashville and we did our second pop-up was with another friend of mine, Maka, that's her name, uh, Joyce House of Pizza, which is not open anymore. So we did our second pop-up at that place. That's when I felt the love. A lot of people showed up. Again, we did everything to go. Um, we did some aguas frescas, some conchas, very like heavy street food, and it was done the right way. The third one was uh, Lady Bird Taco, which was a new place on 12 South Nashville. I think when we did that one, that's when we had a lot of industry people that, that went to that pop-up because it was like a little closer for everyone to attend. You know, it's close to the Gulch, it's close to East Nashville, 
it's close to Midtown, it's close to Germantown. So it, it was almost like being in the middle of everything. And, and a lot of people have access to attend uh, that pop-up. What was the hardest part about doing the pop-ups? Yeah, it was rough. I think I took it very lightly. That's what the problem was. You would think with so much experience working in a kitchen, like you would know better. But honestly, I, I took it lightly. I was like, oh, this is a pop-up. We'll be fine. So I set up the stations. I set up the kitchen. I knew how we wanted to run everything, like, you know, moving everything in one direction. Like, this is the, the door that you used to get in, and this is the door you used to get out. And, like, you don't use the same door to get back in the kitchen. Like, in my mind, I think I know what I'm doing. But, like, no, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, that the main issue was I was writing down tickets and like, no, we needed a printer. Some people didn't understand my handwriting and then we needed things on the fly. So I had to stop cooking to write stuff down. It was a nightmare. The, the first pop-up was a nightmare. So I learned my lesson. And then on the second pop-up, we had a POS and we had a printer and we were ready to go. But we got so busy that, it, you know, our times were a little high, you know, our times were like, 15 minutes to 25 minutes and that's just a, a little high by the time we did lady bird we had a little more consistency on execution we had the same cooks helping out you know i wouldn't call them cooks they're my friends you know that they're just friends that have worked with me in the past and they were helping out i think on the third one i felt like we had it you know we have a good system we have consistency we have the same people working every shift or every pop-up. The food looks amazing. Yeah, I think we nailed it. So that was that was a really good one. But that day Josh Habiger came in and you know he tried the food and we talked briefly. We we had met before. But then you know we talked a little bit and then after that we we talked again and he was like, what if we do a pop-up together? It would be an honor to do a pop-up with you guys. And it felt great. You know, it's it's like the, the first time like you know, Mexican cuisine makes it into fashion, you know, at least that's the way I was thinking in my head. Yeah, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, it was so great to do things with them because it wasn't a lot of talking and a lot of doing. And I, I functioned like that, you know, it was very short words, like you want to do a pop-up and it's like, yes, cool. How does next week sound? So it happened like super quick. And I was like, this is Thursday. They say, let's do it next Thursday. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So seven day notice. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then just a few emails about like, shoot me what dishes you want to do. And I'll shoot you what dishes I want to do. And then we'll just merge them. I was like, cool. So within hours, I'm like, this is what I have. And then he's like, cool, this is what I have. Cool. Let's just do that. Nice. And then that's it. There isn't a lot of like back and forward emails about like someone not being happy with like what that menu item looks like it's not it was just so easy to make food like you're doing your stuff i'm doing mine we even did uh, the playlist together so we have a playlist on spotify that that says celebrate and bastion he did most of it i would say i i just sent him a playlist that i had for my pop-ups and i was like this is what i have he has an amazing taste in, uh, in music, I would say. And even the playlist came out like beautiful. It was just so easy to, they're so professional and good team that they just make it look super, super easy. And, you know, 
the days before the pop-up, I went in, I had the food, I had the menu, the whole menu, and like I, I got to see what the atmosphere was like. This was completely different to what they were doing before and what they're doing now. There was social distancing, so they had to close the back. Like the big music section, they turned into like a restaurant. Where the kitchen is located, they had to close the back and they had to open the bar and turn the bar into a restaurant in order to sit everyone properly. So I was in there two nights before to see what the whole operation was going to look like the day of the pop-up. And then we did announce the pop-up on a Monday, I believe, forgot what day it was. And then our tickets sold out within 40 minutes. So that kind of sucks, but it's also, it's, it's a great feeling to know that, you know, People want to try something different. Tickets sold out within the first few, whatever minutes, maybe two hours, whatever time that was. We did a pop-up there. It was a Thursday. And super blessed that um, I was given a chance, super honored that I got to cook with him and his whole team back then. Alex was in charge of the, the drinks, the music. Everything about that night was just very special, in my opinion. Ten days later, we did another iconic pop-up. It was my birthday ten days later. I've been going to Arnold's Kitchen for years, since my days at Capitol Grill. And I had been talking to Khalil, and like we've been hanging out, and we've been having a couple drinks like for the past few months. And we've been talking about doing something at, at Arnold's for the longest time, but we've never done it. So after we got done with the pop-up at Bastion, I went to Arnold's to, to have lunch and then me and Khalil start talking and he's like, when are you going to do a pop-up here? I'm like, let's do it anytime you want. And I mentioned that my birthday was in X amount of days, 10 days, I believe. He's like, let's just do it on your birthday. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I haven't had a break because I just got done with like the pop-up at Bastion. So now we got to prep for Arnold's and all the people that didn't make it to the pop-up at Passion because it sold out, more likely they're going to go to Arnold's. And I think that's the craziest pop-up we've done up to date. It was insane. I did everything I could to, to, to get ready for it. I think there was 10 line cooks that day. <laughs> there was three servers. We're not really offering like anything, right? There's no like wine that perfectly with your tacos there's it's honestly like here's your food and even then like we got overwhelmed and i think the fact that it was my birthday that didn't help so we're on the line we don't know what to expect we were gonna open at five which we did open at five by 5 p.m there's a long line from arnold's all the way to the light there's like so many cars parked outside because they're doing curbside pickup the moment we open the doors, it's just full house inside. There's people sitting on the patio. We're still doing social distance. So some people had to take their tacos and they, they sat on the, their trunk on their car and they had their tacos out there. And we saw that within the plan. I made enough food to stay up until 11. We saw that around 7.45. So... We just did not have anything else to offer to the public. Those two pop-ups were just something else. You know, one was like very beautiful, <laughs> executed. I mean, both of them were, but like one of them has like certain amount of seeds and then you see them, the leaf, and then you get around to and boom, it's over. And then the other one, there's no pre-sale tickets. There's no 
I wasn't thinking about like, I mean, how do you control the flow? You know, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about like, let's, let's just get him in and get him out and we'll be fine. And like, we were fine. It was insane. Yeah, we had a full table that we had to set up for alcohol because there were people bringing me presents for my birthday and like, I didn't know what to do with them. I was, I was working. I'm like, no, no, thank you. But not right now. And yeah, man, that was that. And the rest is history. After that, we kept doing pop-ups and whatnot. And then we decided to go to the farmer's market and we did start selling a couple things at the market, such as like tortillas and salsas and whatnot. I took a little trip to Austin, Texas, a stash at a place called Suerte. It's a Mexican restaurant in Austin. It was just another experience again, you know, being surrounded by people like them. You know, for me, it's just so fun to, to be around and to watch. And like the, the whole culture of that kitchen, I was like, man, this is what's up. So honestly, after visiting, well, I went to Suerte. Uh, I worked at Suerte for three days. We went to a couple other places. We went to uh, Nixtaqueria. So we went to Nixtaqueria as well. We went to Quantos Tacos. Uh, we visited Commodore as well. And then another place called Vizcada. Vizcada was great as well. Every single place in Austin, it was just amazing. And I think after that trip, you know, it, it taught me a lot. You know, there's times like after, like we did all the pop-ups. We did start doing the markets. But there was nights like I, I would come home and I would be really tired and we're not making enough money to, to make it sustainable because you're only doing it once a month or once every two months uh, and the market is once a week. And then, you know, you kind of start asking yourself, am I doing the right thing here? Am I going to be able to fight the crunchy shell tacos with sour cream and shredded lettuce you know, <laughs> for the next X amount of months or years. Like, is people gonna like what I do better than that? But after I took my trip to Austin, when I came back to Nashville, I was like, yeah, I mean, there's this, all these people, there's this, this massive community in Nashville who are doing it. And I, I love the way they're doing it. I love how they support each other, how like they just look out for each other and how they elevate themselves with each other. Yeah, I, I love that. So when I came back to Nashville, I got back in Nashville, let's say on a Monday, texted Josh Javier again, and I said, hey, like you got time to talk today or tomorrow? He's like, sure, let's talk. So we met up for coffee and we talked. So like my main idea was I want to be able to feed people, but we don't have a restaurant to do it. Bastion is closed on Sundays and Mondays, so we can make food out of their kitchen if they let us make food out of their kitchen. So I wrote a little list about the, the things that I, that I had in my mind. So when I talked to Josh, I had my little clipboard with the things that I wanted to talk to him about. But to keep it simple, I said, hey, I was thinking about like on these days that you're not really open. Maybe you can let us do this and do that. And then he just said yes. I kind of didn't get a chance to tell him why it would be a great idea. And I just kind of stood there like, that's it. Just, just, yes. And then it became a thing. I was like, cool. Yeah. Thank you, man. And then it became a thing with the Bastion or Alibrija Bastion on Sundays. And then Sundays became Mondays too. So it was Sundays and Mondays. And it was going to be like a little simple 
but then it became a little more complex because then we were changing the menu every like whenever we felt like it and there was a lot of like very seasonal dishes on there uh, we were getting veggies from bloomsbury farms so we had like a tomato red slicer huaracha on the menu there was just way too many dishes on there but every single dish like the tacos would stay the same anything that was like what i call mass snacks such as like a sope or clayuda or tostada or huarache we would try to make it seasonal but yeah we were changing the menu every maybe every two to three months maybe where's all that inspiration for these different dishes coming from is that from your memories of your grandmother like you were talking about like is it her recipes or is this just stuff you picked up along the way that you kind of were playing with around and were able to develop and give kind of a authentic mexico city vibe to I think the food that we were making out of that kitchen back then was, it was me. I think that's a good way to put it. And by me, I mean like your whole life. What are the things you have picked up your whole life? Was it the smell of a fresh tomato? Was it the smell of like when you're five years old and you're walking around the cornfield in your grandma's cornfield and you're harvesting that corn for her to grind it? Is it the smell of Mexico City when you're a kid? Is it your days at Capitol Grill working as a cook? Is it the days at the market? I think pick up a little bit of everything throughout my life. That's what that was. There was no rules. I don't think the food that we were making was 100% Mexican because we're not in Mexico. Even if I'm the one making it, we're not in Mexico. So some of the ingredients, we can't really get them. I think it's even better to use what's around you. Corn, we can get corn from Mexico. Make, which is the base for everything that we do. We can get beans from Mexico and we can get a couple ingredients locally, uh, such as epazote or yerba santa to make some really good mashed beans. But then we can also get really, really good organic fresh tomatoes from Bloomsbury or we can get, you know, some really good onions from them as well. So I think if, if we combine a little bit of both, if we get the main ingredients that we can source out from mexico that's great but if we can get what's like reaping fresh locally that's even better that's what i was doing and then when it comes to the techniques i don't think there's anything wrong with using your experience to see what method fits certain dish the best you know what gives you the best outcome like on that we had the tomato red slicer what on the menu uh, I was like, what if we do uh, like an exo sauce, but we make it Mexican and we fold a little bit of chicharrones on there. And it's almost like a little take on salsa matcha, but we do this and that instead. We added a lot of fermentation on our dishes too back then. There was a couple ferment. Instead of wasting things, we used to ferment a couple things and then just kind of chop them and put them on the dishes. Those components would mainly go on the clayuda and the tostada. It was meant to be just like a couple fun dishes, but I think that people showing up every Sunday and Monday kind of made it or turned it into a some sort of tasting menu, but without the plates being so small, <laughs> they were actually big, but they would still get the whole menu. So that's how I got ready for for those nights, because everyone, you know, just about 80% or maybe 70% of people showing up, they'll be like, give me the whole menu. 
or I'm going to make it super easy for you. Give me the whole menu, multiply it three times. That's what we're going to get. Oh, yeah, cool. Fantastic. And then people sitting at the board, they would get a couple tacos, uh, and that was it. That was our night. And then after that, I just came back from Austin super inspired, and I knew I knew that I was on the right track, and I knew that I was going to continue to do what I was doing. And then I came back, and I, uh, we did, you know, sort of residency at Passion. It wasn't going to last forever. You know, we're in someone else's house at the end of the day. As we keep moving forward day by day, I came home one day and I saw the trailer that I was going to use six years ago and I never got to use it. I completely forgot about it. And then during the pandemic, I completely forgot about it. And I just looked at it and I was like, that thing is empty. Like we should put it to use. So I got the trailer, turned it into a food trailer, got the permits, whatnot. So then it was time to like, to think about where are we going to park it. And then I think before we decide to do that, we did one last pop-up. We did a pop-up with uh, Sean Brock joining. And that was amazing too. So we made uh, Jimmy Red Corn mixed them up tortillas. And we did cheeseburger tacos with red chorizo and queso fries, something along the lines. That was amazing too. Uh, I had a lot of fun. On that one, we have a, a custom grill that was made in, in Austin, Texas. And yeah, Sean ended up working that grill that day. And I was flipping tortillas to water. So that was that was fun. And after that, a few months later, that's when we opened the food trailer. And uh, Drew, that's his name, is a partner at the Honey Tree. We found each other at the market. I mean, we known each other, you know, before then. But one day I told him, hey, I've been building this. And like, man, I don't know where to park it, if you know anyone. And then he was like, what if you park it outside the honey tree? And it just happened so like out of the blue, no planning whatsoever. You know, I wasn't planning to park it there. He wasn't planning on having me there. We just kind of talked about it in a silly way, almost like joking around. But then I did call him. You know, <laughs> then a week later, I was like, Hey, man, I was actually serious when I told you about the trailer last week. He's like, yeah, I was actually serious, too. And I was like, I guess it's a thing. Oh, okay. So then we just made it happen. You know, one day we're like, hey, we're going to be making food out of this, uh, out of the trailer. We got a trailer now. And we opened at the honey tree. With opening the food truck, I didn't want to make the same food that I was doing with a residency at Bastion. I wouldn't feel like if I go to a food truck and you feed me something like that, even if it's great, something wouldn't make sense. I would feel a little weird about it. it just don't, doesn't doesn't make sense to make food like that out of a food truck. So I was like, what if we just make, you know, I always had a thing for tacos, always. And again, I wanted to make tacos my own way. And I was like, what if we just make this super heavy, authentic CDMX or Mexico City taqueria? out of the food truck and that's what we make and there's there's like it's not pretentious it's not like super fancy it's just like the real deal you know what you're getting and even the sauces right like the sauces need to be spicy you need to be able to eat them there shouldn't be any weird anything weird on there like uh, there's honey on the salsa like no there's not honey in like a traditional you know, Mexico City Taqueria. If you decide to put honey on, on yours, like if you write cookbooks and you decide to add, add honey to it to, to make it look like you're doing something different, yeah, that's on you, but that's not how it really is. 
So like, let's just make it like the way it is, very authentic. Let's see what happens. And I think when you can make a taco taste like that, it's hard not to try another one. I feel like you just keep eating them nonstop and they're just like, without knowing, you can't put 10 of them in your mouth because they're just, it's so well balanced to have like something spicy, something acidic and something very rich all in one bite and also have texture with it. So yeah, that's that's what we did and that's what we've been doing. We did start the menu with just a couple tacos uh, and like a side item, I believe. And then we introduce again like the warages and the clayudas and like the bigger dishes that we kind of had a passion. We dropped the price on them and we simplify them. So we just made like a very traditional chicken mole quesadilla because my mom used to make me chicken mole on my birthday all the time so i was like let's use let's just do that and put that on a quesadilla which is like two more ingredients on it and just call it a day so we decided to focus on really good technique and less ingredients and make it just as tasty so that's what we did with the food truck max had been going to uh to try our food at bastion this is max goldberg and one day we just talked and we decided to go out for coffee and we had coffee and we talked. And ever since then, we kept talking. And one day he just gave me a phone call. This is months, many months later. And he's like, uh, you like to be in the stadium? And I was like, I don't know. And then we met up for coffee again. And after we met up for coffee and he told me a little bit about the idea and what we do at the stadium, I was like, yeah, there isn't much to think about this. You know, my answer is yes. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. That's when we partner up with him and Ben, his brother, to open Alebrecht at the stadium. So the strategic is for partner to, to open at the stadium. And then, you know, we're on our own and everything else. It's really beautiful to have all these partners all over the place. Like we partners with the Honey Tree to open a, a, on their spot with the trailer. We partners with the strategic to open at the stadium. And then a few months later, after the stadium, I met up with uh, Gabe, which is the owner of Bar Sovereign. Yeah, same thing. He was like, would you like to open you know, a taco place in here? I was like, I didn't know what to, what to answer because I was extremely busy with the food truck and the stadium. What do I tell him? Like deep inside, I really, really want to do it. Question is, do I have time to do it? That's the question. I made time. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, I don't have the time, but I'm, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make time. Yeah, there was a couple weeks of, you know, sleeping about 20 hours per week, uh, maybe less than that. So a lot of sleepless nights in order to make all of it function, make the food truck, the stadium and board sovereign operate. But we got to the point to where, you know, we, we did make it happen. The stadium is about to happen next month. And super excited to, to be around all these amazing people. And they give us a chance to, to execute our food out of their places. And having three locations is kind of the biggest limiting factor to additional expansion past those three locations time. Mexican cuisine is so diverse and has like, and I mean, any cuisine, right? I'm talking about about Mexican because that's 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 what I know the best and that's what I grew up eating. So any cuisine, I feel like it, it does have so much to offer. Since I know Mexican cuisine the best because it's my cuisine, 
I feel like tacos is just touching the surface of it, in my opinion, which is everything that we're doing right now. I think if we were to do anything else, we can just do something different. And I don't think it would be, it would be an issue with what we're currently doing. I think the main goal is to be able to make it grow enough to where, to where we can have our own spot. That's ideally my, my goal to open a restaurant, even if it's like really small or medium size, whatever the size could be. I mean, the concept is going to change depending on the location and the size. That's, that's what I believe. I think ideally I would like to have, I mean, I would never get rid of the tacos. You know, I would keep the tacos at, at the tree. I would keep the tacos at Bar Sovereign. If anything, I, I think having a little more exposure to where like maybe you can have another taco stand like somewhere on West Nashville or have another taco stand on, on ENIAC. So I think tacos should be like super affordable and super accessible to everyone. So if you live in West Nashville and you don't want to drive all the way to East Nashville to pick up tacos, it's fine. There's there's another taco spot right there that, that it's five minutes away from you and you can just go to that one instead. You know, that's ideally where I would like to be one day. I think for now, I mean, obviously we can't afford it. So being hosted by other people such as the, the Hanning Tree or Bar Sovereign, that's amazing that they can do that for us that they're willing to do that for us and and that it works that's just kind of what we have to do until we get and even if we get where we want to be like those places would still remain open you know as long as they they let us do it like in my mind we want to do it as long as they they want to let us do it i mean i feel like concepts ideas things just change every day you know same as people people change as well so, I mean, right now we're, I think ideally I would like to have like all these little taco places and one day just have like that one restaurant where you can express, or at least myself, in my case, where I could express myself and not just be limited by just making tacos, maybe have a little more access to, let's just explore like all these regions of Mexico through food every X amount of weeks or every X amount of months and just be able to change the menu and whatnot. And it's not for the satisfaction of like, let's just change the menu. I think it's more like being able to, to share things with people. I think that's that's the main goal, being able to tell a story through food. And I don't know how long it's going to take to get there, but one day. So you mentioned a couple of times the Nixmalize process. What is that? That's the process that you use to make tortillas. It's a tradition to make tortillas uh, using that technique in Mexico. It's been disappearing with the years, even in Mexico, not, not just here in the U.S., but even in Mexico, it's, it's something that is not being done as much as it used to be done back in the day. Again, my grandma used to do it. And I would say that's the first time I did watch someone doing it. But it's basically the process to make tortillas or anything related to masa. Once you go through this process, that's how you obtain masa. And then you can make tamales or tortillas or quesadillas and all these other different shapes of masa, right? In our case, we were doing, we were making miso with masa. I mean, if you want to explore a little more, yeah, you can feel free to, you know, do a little crazier things with it. The basic process to obtain this is, Corn, water, and calcium hydroxide. 
So you strain ingredients and then you, you combine all three, you cook it until you, until you get certain consistency and then you let it sit overnight. The next day, you're gonna strain all that liquid. You're gonna end up with corn. That nixtamalization will give you access to the corn itself. Without it, you just have a grain, if that makes sense. With the nixtamalization, you remove the outside layer of the corn, which it's called pericarp. So very complex name that we don't really know what it means, but it's the skin outside of the corn. So you remove it. And once you remove that, Again, it's almost like unlocking the, the, the power source to, to the corn itself. So once you can accomplish that, you can strain it and then you can grind it. And after you grind it, you get massa. That's the process of nixamalization. That's what that means. One of the main things why we wanted to do it like that, it's a lot of labor, it's a lot of work. A lot of people will not know about it. I mean, you can easily save yourself, you know, two days worth of work by just buying tortillas. And you can also save money too, which is, you know, what maybe 99% of restaurants do in Nashville. Some people like they make their own tortillas, I guess, but they still get like the maseca of the shelf powder stuff. So basically you're just taking powder and you're mixing it with water and boom, you got tortillas. Just keeping a whole, you know, 24 hour process by just doing that. So again, that's, that's the easy way to do it. We did not want to do it that way again just because just having all these flashbacks and memories you know and like i mentioned earlier like when i saw it i knew exactly what i wanted to do and that's what it was you know i knew how my grandma used to do it and i knew that was the right way to do it i mean she would just grab a tortilla and put beans on it and just feed it to you and that was like such a great meal two ingredients and i was like we're not going to skip a single ingredient let's just do Let's just do everything right, and hopefully the food is picked for itself. Can you use any type of corn, or is there specific characteristics of corn that either you look for or you need to have in order to do this process? I don't. I, I mean, we get heirloom corn from uh, from Mexico. I think if you want to be consistent, yeah, I mean, I would get the same corn all the time. We use, we use a corn called uh, Blue Conico or conico azul. So it's a blue corn, very starchy from Mexico. Uh, I use that a lot because I grew up around blue corn. So to, to me, when I when I use that, it, it, that's for one, nostalgia. And then for two, it translates the message a little better. Whatever is the message that I want to give into those dishes, when I use blue corn and, and I smell it, you know, I just kind of put my hands together and I smell it. And I'm like, this is it. If I use the yellow corn, which is the most common corn, that's, it's still going to be great. It's still going to be heirloom corn. It just doesn't hit the same. The second corn that's my go-to that, that it hits the spot just the same as blue conico would be guinea red corn. So we get that from Schumbrook. That's a little harder in my opinion. I don't know how many people have nixtamalize that corn honestly don't know of anyone so you, you kind of have to do your research on your own i guess but that one is just a little harder to get it right get it to the consistency of the corn that you're used to grind all the time so you know to keep it simple like every single corn is going to be different i don't look for any characteristics on the corn itself I find it a little more fun to work around the corn, like to get a new corn and just be like, cool, what's this one going to be like? How is 
this core going to react to my technique? Do I keep it easy and just keep relying on the same measurements and the same technique and cooking times that I've been using this whole time? Do I get out of my comfort zone and work around it? And that's gimme red corn. You know, it's going to, your cooking time is not going to be the same. Your percentages are not going to be the same. Whatever you look for on this other, on the blue corn or the yellow corn, that's not going to be the same on gimme red corn. Whenever you're grinding it, it will not be the same. Whenever you're feeding water to it, it's not going to be the same. And I'm sure there's like many other corns out there who are just not the same. I think that's the beauty behind it, behind cooking, that you can just, it's endless. You went to culinary school for a minute, right? Nashville State's culinary school. When you look back on your career, do you think culinary school would have been worth it for you? Or or did you just not really get anything out of it? And it was more about learning on the job for you. The way I feel about it is how is knowledge going to be any wrong for you? You know, there's no such thing like knowledge is never going to be something that you're doing wrong, in my opinion, that's not going to benefit you. So knowledge is always going to benefit you. I think in my case, I have been working in restaurants for so long that whenever I decided to go to school, it was a little too late. You know, that's that's really what it was. But it's also a good thing because I didn't have to spend money. So you know, there's always this battle between like, do I go to school? Do I not go to school? Do I get a job first, then go to school? Like, I mean, if you can afford to go to school, go to school. And then if it's for you, then it's for you. And my, my humble opinion is I would get a job, a kitchen job first, just to make sure this is what you want to do. You know, just kind of like, just imagine if you go to school for so many years and then you, you pay so much money. And then you leave a school and you're like super excited. You think you're a chef, but in the real world, you're not. But you don't know that yet. And then you go and you land your first kitchen job. And then it's not what you thought it was going to be. It's not what they show on TV. And then you kind of leave and you go back and you're like, man, I don't, I don't want to work in the kitchen. You know, I don't want to be standing for 16 hours. You don't want to be doing all these things that these people do. So I think getting a job first and like, just gonna see what it's like and if it's if it's for you and if it's something that you want to do then maybe go to school and then work in a kitchen at the same time at the end of the day knowledge is just going to benefit you 100 percent. but yeah in my case i had just been working in restaurants for so long that when i went to school i just kind of felt like i wasn't learning much and i think back then i was working at capital Creole. maybe it just didn't make sense i was like i, I better put like my effort and time into the restaurant with hands-on rather than school. Do you still do any graffiti? Oh, man, you're going to get me in trouble, homie. I do paint on canvas. I do a lot of uh, acrylic paint. Well, I was doing a lot of acrylic and oils. Because uh, obviously, I don't want to get in trouble. Imagine if I have to open the food truck the next day, I'm, I'm in jail because I was doing graffiti. My urge to paint on things is not as bad as it was before. And that was another another thing I like that I found in cooking that uh, I was able to express that creativity and those ideas into dishes themselves. And, and by this, I don't mean like painting and using like different colors into a plate with no purpose other than making it look pretty. I don't mean that, you know, I mean, I feel like there's people who like to create, create things and I think I'm one of those. So even if I just get to do a, a new taco, you know, I don't care. I mean, obviously I care that it looks 
nice, but I'm not gonna put like you know turmeric with carrot sauce on it just to make it look super bright yellow and it'll look amazing on a blank plate. Like, and then we're gonna like add a squid ink to a tortilla to make it look black and like all the colors are gonna pop. Like, that's just like bullshit. We're not gonna do that. If I get to create things, then I'm fully satisfied. I don't do graffiti any, anymore. I do paint uh, faces or characters on the canvas, and, and I use a little bit of everything. I do I do use acrylics. I do use oils. I use pastels, markers, pencils. Honestly, whatever is gonna give me that result that looks badass i'm just gonna use it i mainly like working on my car that's the two things that i do i cook i get home and i got like 20 minutes worth of time left on on my day even if i don't you know even if i know that i'm gonna sleep only three hours i still twist a couple of wrenches yeah because there's always something wrong with cars working on my car just gives me peace of mind it's a completely opposite of like cooking in my opinion you know you just kind of get underneath the core and you just look at it and then you kind of don't really know what you're looking at and then you just kind of start moving a thing or two around and it's very peaceful it makes you mad too you know at least it makes me mad you know i get mad i kick the fender on my core and then i feel bad about it so i go back and i say that i'm sorry and then i drive it again and then she don't want to start the next day so then i get mad again and it's just a never-ending cycle Non-core people wouldn't get it. Core people would get it. So you've been involved in the food scene in Nashville for a number of years now. So what all has changed since you've been involved? What do you think still needs to change? And where do you see Nashville headed as a food town? I think that culture has changed a lot. I think back in the day, there was a lot of people that did love cooking and they were really deep into it. Um, You know, however, I think it, it was such a rough and tough profession it still is you know i think it was a little rougher back then things could easily get overlooked and i think now they don't you know i think now i mean there's many restaurants nowadays that close for like two days in order to give their staff enough rest you know i think that's important and i think those are the things that we were either overlooking back in the day or we just decided to look the other way just keep people working until they get burned out and I think that that's not the case anymore. You know, I think people pay a little more attention to the profession nowadays. People are aware that time off is important, that, you know, taking a break is important. But I think that's a good change that I've seen in the city. Another change, and that's, you know, it's for good as well. You know, I think back in the day, and I could be completely wrong since, you know, back, back then I was just kind of like following the lead and kind of putting my head down and working my station. Even from that perspective, it felt that back then, it felt a little more like, let's let's see who's the best in Nashville, right? Which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, like challenging each other or challenging yourself to, to do the best that you can be when it comes to, to food. But it felt like, like everybody was racing their own race back then on, on becoming, you know, the best. And... And I don't think there was a lot of support for each other back then. And I think we have it now. You know, there's, I think we're a good example of that. You know, Bastion helped us, Leo and his place, he, he let us do, you know, 
a one in a lifetime pop up in Arnold's kitchen. Just like that's never ever gonna happen again unless they open another location. And we get a lot of support, you know, from people. I mean, for me, in letting us work at Sportfest for a couple of days, I feel like the doors are like a little more open nowadays than than they were back then. I think people are more willing to to help. It almost feels like people want to see other people succeed nowadays a little more than they did back then. It felt like back then it was more of of a fight. And maybe that's not the word, but it felt more like, you know, nobody wants to elevate themselves with the community. And that's that's like a nice thing I saw in, in Austin, Texas, that they all elevate each other. And I think that's where I see Nashville now. We all elevating with each other and we always like trying to help each other and we always happy to see someone else being successful on what they do and, and whatever that means them and i honestly don't think we used to see that back then so this next question comes from ryan morgan who's the previous guest on the podcast of 16 bricks and el camino bakery in cincinnati ohio here he left behind a question for you how are you improving the passion in your industry? I think the moment you invest in other people, when you truly invest, uh, there's a difference in, in that word. It's not invest doesn't mean I'm going to train you so you can make my life easier. You know, that's not investing. I mean, that's investing in yourself, I guess. You're, you're investing in people, but you, you're mainly investing in yourself. You know, investing in people means more than that. When you're taking your time to, and I used to be really bad at it, even taking time to listen, sometimes we don't. You know, you're running around with the clipboard and someone's just, it could be very unrelated to work, but they just want to talk to you. And you're like, hey, what's up? What do you need? And the moment you find out that it's not even related to work, you're like, really? And then you just walk away and you keep doing that order because you're like caught of time. It's like right around the corner. So that's a good example of how it used to be. And the moment, to me, what made the change is the moment you start listening, the moment you start taking your time, the moment you start investing in people, but not investing in them as like, I'm going to train you and make you a badass in the kitchen. But the moment you start investing in them, start treating them as family. You know, whenever you pluck out and you punch out and you still get to see them, and you're going to go somewhere and you're going to eat. And it's it's not even related to work, but you call him and you're like, man, you want to go to this one new place they opened with me? Yes, I want to go. It's Christmas. Do you have anywhere to spend Christmas? I don't. Come over to my place. So the, all these little things is what makes the difference. All these little things, it's it's what make, what's going to make your place and the culture completely different to what it was back then, completely different to... I'm just going to answer it, yes, chef, and I'm just going to get treated like shit, and I'm going to be okay with that because that's that's what you do, you know? And like, no, to me, that's that would be the answer to, to that question. That's how you keep passion, you know, in, in what you do every day and in other people's lives. What's a question you want to leave behind for the next guest? can be anything. What would you tell yourself 10 years ago to do different? This next question comes from one of our listeners. They wrote in, what's the most important part of a taco? Yeah, it has to be the tortilla. I went to a place once and they gave me a taco and I lifted it up. And like the, the whole thing just crumbled onto the plate. And uh, the bartender was like, how's the recantation today, sir? Hey, I know it's not your fault. It's okay. And you just give me like 
a new tortilla so I can transfer this onto a shelf? And he's like, absolutely. And he went and got me a fork and a spoon and just handed that to me. And I was like, I didn't order a salad. So that just, that just made me laugh. So yes, it has to be the tortilla. So this last set of questions we asked to everybody who comes on the podcast. So a nice compare and contrast across the episodes here. So who would you say is the biggest influence on your cooking career thus far when you look back on it? That would have to be my mom and my grandma, not them two. What's one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without? Oh, that would have to be a pillar. Nashville restaurant you recommend that isn't your own. So person gets stuck at the airport. You guys are closed. They reach out to you. Hey, where should we go eat? We're here for one night. You point them in this direction. Locust, that place, it's just insane. Bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant. So a place you've never visited yet, but you still want to travel to. And then also a restaurant you've never eaten at before, but you still want to get to one day. Well, I've been wanting to go to Central for a hot minute in Peru. Let's see. Man, I always wanted to go to Manresa. I think it's closed. I've been wanting to go to Damian, which is a new place they just opened in LA. I always wanted to go to Japan for the longest time with no restaurants in mind in particular and just and just eat on the streets. That's just like my favorite thing to do. Or eat at someone's house. I don't know why. Those are always the best. There's a place in Mexico called uh, Joco. I've been wanting to go to that place for a good amount of time as well. But that those will be my top three, four restaurants to go to. Craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you were working? It's a knife being thrown at another cook, like from a distance. Like they were throwing that knife at him with murder intentions. It wasn't like a soft. Think about baseball speed. They were going for the kill. Luckily, he uh, he had really good reflexes, so he was able to dodge. Uh, so that would be one. Number two would be I'm working grill, and the cook next to me is working main guard. I think we had donuts on the menu or beignets. He dropped a couple or maybe one or two, and then he's making a couple tickets. And the chef is like, how long on this? And he didn't set a timer. I don't even know if he was using one, but let's just say he forgot about it. The moment chef said, how long on this? It was like, oh, I forgot about that. So he turned around and he stick his hand in the fryer and pull him out and played on him. I looked at him like, like what just happened? <clears throat> so I went up to him and I was like, do you know what you just did? Like, what, what, what? I'm fine. I'm like, you just put your whole hand in the fryer to pull that out. He's like, did I? I'm like, yeah. And then he kept saying, oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Five minutes later, he wasn't fine. <laughs> food or drink guilty pleasures or anything, fast food, candy, that's, you know, kind of unhealthy for you, but you just can't help yourself? Honestly, I love Takis. And I, I like putting more spicy shit on them. You know, <laughs> they're already spicy. And then I put... Valentina or Cholula on them. On top of that, it's not good for me because it's just not. But I've been good lately. What's the one cookbook, professional cook, home cook, whoever that everybody should own? On vegetables by Jeremy Fox. Favorite dish thing you ever cooked, created? Kind of looking back through your career, you can almost point to this as your aha moment. Like you knew you could be a professional chef one day. Oh man, I don't have such a thing. Yeah, I don't think I ever made a single dish that I was like, yeah, this is it. Honestly, no. I think defining yourself by just making that one dish 
it would be, at least in my case, it would be really hard to, to assign that one dish. I mean, you could easily be ripping off someone else. You could easily just be imitating someone else and then it wouldn't be the same. I think, I think to me, the moment that I learned enough techniques for me to be creative enough and start developing my own dishes and start making dishes. I mean, sure, some dishes that, I mean, the tacos that we have on the menu, anyone has it, has made carne asada tacos and like, there's many people who make chicken tacos and lengua tacos and whatnot. So like, we're not reinventing the wheel when it comes to that. You know, however, I made dishes in my life that, that I, maybe someone else has made them. I just don't really know about them. The bok choy sope, I just don't really know who's doing bok choy sopes. Or when we did the zephyr squash, clayuda. That's what I really like to, to make new dishes that no one has done yet. The moment that I knew that I, that I was skilled enough creating things of my own that's that's when it was for me and that was about i don't know seven years ago i would say that uh, that that happened for me so that that was defined by time and not one dish i'm an anthony bourdain fan not everybody is or was but if you were is there a moment episode scene about him that stands out to you if you weren't is there anybody else that happened to be on tv uh, emerald uh Julia Child, uh, anybody that you gravitated towards or were a fan of when you were coming up through your career? I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan as well. Uh, I don't watch TV, but I used to watch TV. I used to watch Parts Unknown with a friend of mine many years ago. I would be lying to you if I if I were to tell you like the exact season or episode because I just, just don't really know. I think there's an episode where he's talking about his staff in the back. And I think they're all Mexicans. And I think he's saying something like, like one of the kids can make a, a, sauce, a sauce better than like this other guy that's been doing it for like forever. It could be something like that. You know, I think it was something like, like they're from Mexico and like they're used to make mole and all these other sauces. And now they're working at his restaurant in New York. And like, they never cooked before, yet they're learning how to make all these French sauces. I really don't know what exactly happens on that episode. However, remember the message behind it. You know, I think the message behind it, he's saying how important is his staff to him. Where can people find you? Social media, website, plug everything. Instagram would be Alebrije, A L E B R I J E. Nash. So that's Instagram and Facebook, Alebrije Nash. Uh, our website is Alebrije Nashville, God Square. But I mean, you can just Google it, it'll take you there. Then our email is Alebrije Nashville at gmail.com. And then our locations are we're located at the Henning Tree Meadery on Woodland Street, 918 Woodland Street, Nashville. And we are located at Bar Sovereign. That's in the suburb area in Nashville. Uh, I think that's 514 Republican Drive Way, something along the lines. And then you can find us this year at the New Soccer Stadium, the Audisport. And there's an Instagram account for the taco truck too, right? Is it the CDMX Tacos? Yeah. The, I mean, at some point we're planning on separating the truck from a everything else but right now we're we're running both accounts that account would be cdmx tacos it's as easy as that you can find us by just uh, tapping that on instagram 
This was great. I'm super happy we finally got to do this. You've had a super interesting and fascinating career just from you talk to a bunch of different people and some people kind of have similar things where they just don't really know what they want to do. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do after school. And nowadays it feels like you kind of have to know. Otherwise you wind up just going to school for no reason. And then later on, it's like, cool, I went to school and that doesn't even apply to anything that I'm doing now. And then there's so many people that run into that now. And there's a whole debate with how valid or how worthwhile secondary education, stuff like that is now. And based on costs and all that stuff, just like culinary school. But no, you've had a amazing career thus far. Interesting story. So super happy to have you on the podcast. And the tacos look amazing. I mean, everybody in Nashville, I think, knows about it and has something to say. And it's all been positive from everything that we've heard. So it's really cool to see you guys at the soccer stadium, too. I think that's an awesome opportunity for you guys that you'll be able to capitalize on and, and just at, being at every home game. That soccer stadium is brand new with I've never been to the soccer stadium since it's you know so new, but it, it looks amazing, kind of state of the art. So that'll be awesome for you guys to experience too. And and hopefully we'll be seeing you soon. Next time we're in Nashville, we'll be stopping by and, and grabbing some tacos. Amazing, man. Thank you for having me. Big thanks again to Edgar for coming on the podcast, the being flexible with scheduling. We were kind of go back and forth for a little bit. So I'm super happy that we were able to find a date that worked for both of us and we didn't have to reschedule on each other continuously with different stuff that we both kind of had popping up at the last second. You can follow him again on Instagram. It's at edgarvictoria.rexo, R-E-K-Z-O. Also the restaurant accounts at Alebreja Nash and also at CDMX Tacos. You can also find Honey Tree Meadery, Bar Sovereign, Nashville SC, and Geodis Park all with Instagram accounts to there as well, which are kind of almost partner sister businesses in a way with Alebreja currently. So you can follow us at Spoon Mob. Check out the website, spoonmob.com. Make sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast and whatever player that you use. But that is it for this week. Another fun episode, something different, talking tacos. I don't think we have had anybody that's really specifically taco focused outside of Edgar. I think we've had people that have dabbled in tacos. You know, Wesley Grubbs has some taco stuff that he does mostly for family meal and a few others. Silas Caton has a taco pop-up from his days that's carried over from when he was a chef at uh, Koshaka Cocina and everything here in Columbus too as well. But Edgar's the first one that we've had exclusively doing tacos. Jorge Guzman does them, but it's also other Yucatan cuisine too as well. So it's not strictly tacos and, and stuff like that. So not that Edgar's strictly tacos, but he leans more heavily into that. Yeah, make sure to follow them, follow us. Appreciate everybody listening. If you're new, welcome. If you've been here for a while, thank you for your continued support. Continue to help spread the word. Uh, if you wind up at a restaurant that we featured uh, on the podcast or a wine bar or whatever, make sure to let them know that you heard about them, you know, on the Spoon Mob podcast and that, you know, it's always beneficial for them to know that people are listening to their episodes and uh, enjoying them too as well. And, and they're helping do what they do and promote everything and get people in the door because these are awesome places that we featured. Go to all of them firsthand. We just want to see them continue to thrive and continue to be in business because uh, without them, then there's not a whole lot to the food scenes in the cities that they're located in. That is it for this week. We will talk to you guys next week on Thursday.